church. Uh, my name is Tim. If you're fairly new here, I get the honor of serving as one of the pastors. Uh, we are here kicking off a brand new series that we are entitling Courageous Faith. But before I get too far into the service, I want to give a quick shout out for those of you joining us in Phoenix, Arizona. We see you on the other side of the camera. Um, and also, before we get into the, the service, did anybody watch the Super Bowl? Valentine's Day week. So, order to the wise, you still got time to go buy that special lady something real nice. Yeah. Uh, ladies, word to the wise, month of February, TVs are on sale like never before. Pancakes, calling for a big screen, let's go. Uh, really though, TVs are the cheapest the month of February next to Black Friday. Uh, if you're single looking to mingle, online dating services are the cheapest in the month of February. Because they were not walking in courageous faith. And I believe for you, 
There's some things in your life that God has for you. He desires for you to take possession of some things, some good things that he has for you. But whether you will, whether we will or not, it hinges on us walking in courageous faith. And here's what I want you to know. God has big plans for you personally. He has big plans for us collectively. And isn't it nice to know that the best days are still ahead of us? God has good things ahead of you personally. God has good things ahead of Central collectively. And we've been, we've been a church in existence for 80 years. I tell people that, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, 80 years, bro, it's awesome. But even in the midst of that, he's done big things in the past. The best days are still ahead of us. He's dropped in the heart of this church that, that we just believe that there's new ground for us to take. We're growing to become a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church where we seek to understand and celebrate each other's differences rather than ridiculing each other's differences. I am convinced of this, that in a divided world, in the midst of a divided nation, God is looking for a unified church. And I'm just asking the question, why not us? Why not here? Why not now? We're growing to become a church with an intentional leadership development strategy to where we raise and release leaders. I believe in the room today, in this house right here, right now, are future pastors, future worship leaders, future, future ministers that will go out and launch from this place yeah. and launch new campuses. We just believe that. You might be like, that's not me. But you just watch over the coming years, God's going to place his hand on your life. And you'd be amazed at what he desires to do. We're currently trying to build infrastructure and strategy and, and, and manpower and resources to be able to raise and release leaders to launch new churches right here in the Bay. Because we need more churches. I believe this. You are the church. The church is in a building. It's not four walls and the roof. But you are the church. And I just believe this. You are the hope of the world. God desires to do more in you and through you than you could ever dream or imagine. But it requires us to step into courageous faith. We're growing to become a church. It is known what we are for. We are known, we desire to be known in our community. That man, if we were to disappear tomorrow, the neighbors around this church would say, man, we miss those people. They, they, we might not agree with them. We might not believe in the God that they serve, but we cannot argue that this community is better because they were here. We're growing to become that. We desire to be that. God has big plans for us. Personally, collectively, there's 1.7 million people in Santa Clara County, our county alone, that are headed to a Christless eternity. And let me just say this, you're the hope. He's called you to that, to help them find him and follow him. And whether we will or whether we won't, requires us stepping into courageous faith. So today, I want us to learn to avoid some of the pitfalls that this nation, Israel, Encountered. When we come to Joshua chapter 1, it was actually God's desire for them to already have possession of the land. But as we rewind the tape 40 years, we're going to learn some things that the nation of Israel stumbled over time and time again. It should have taken them 11 days to go from Egypt to the promised land. But from 1446 to 1406 BC, 40 years, they're wandering aimlessly in the desert. I'm just here to say I don't want that for you. God's called you to bigger things, forward movement, taking ground, and we're going to learn from their mistakes. So um, we're going to jump in, in Numbers chapter 13 to 14. Numbers 13 to 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you have your mobile device, feel free to pull it up. We're also going to have it on the screen. There's more content that I can cover, so I'm going to talk fast, and we're going to move even faster. But, but Numbers chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 1, is basically the story of uh, of, of God telling Moses to send 12 tribes to check out this land. 
The nation of Israel is about a million people at this time. It's divided into 12 tribes, and each tribe has a leader. So Moses sends a leader from each tribe to go on a recon mission to explore this land, this promised land that they're about to, to take, and, and that God's promised them. So Moses is like, hey, tell me, is the, is the soil good? Is it fertile or not? Are the cities, are they walled? Are they fortified? Or, or are there inhabitants there? What are the inhabitants? Who are these people? What do they look like? Or is there fruit there? Are there trees there? If you can, bring back some of the fruit. And so, so these guys go, and they, they bring back this cluster of grapes that's like so huge, like it takes two dudes to carry it. They bring back figs and pomegranates, and it's a, a very fruitful land. And indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, as the Bible says. And so here, here they come back with this announcement, the report of this recon mission. They, they're on this, this trip for 40 days, and first... 26 in Numbers chapter 13. We picked this up here, and I apologize. I got a little overzealous with the scripture here. So at the bottom of the screen is verse 26. Here's what it says. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community in Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. They reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them some fruit from the land. They, they gave Moses this report. We went to the land in which he sent us, and indeed it does flow with milk and honey. Like, it's an awesome land. Here's some of the fruit. Verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. These were giants, like David and Goliath type giants. This is Goliath's ancestry. And so, verse 29, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the, the Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land devours those living in it. All the people who live in the land are of great size. We even saw giants here. We saw the Nephilim, descendants of Anak, and, and, and the descendants of the Nephilim. And, and it says this, check this out. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. If we're going to walk in courageous faith, if we're going to take new ground in our lives personally, in our church, collectively, there's a lot we can learn from this story. There's a lot we can learn from this narrative. I, I encourage you, before the day's over, certainly this week, spend some time in Numbers 13 and 14, and ask God to reveal you, to you some truths about, about what he's trying to communicate to us. I want to share three observations from this narrative that courageous faith requires. Three things that courageous faith requires of you, requires of me. And the first is this, courageous faith requires faith-filled perspective. Faith-filled Perspective. If you're taking notes, we've got these bad boys in the program. You can follow along. The scriptures are in there. You can refer to these, these later. But the first fill in the blank is courageous faith requires faith-filled perspective. Numbers 13.33 reads this. We even saw the giants there. Like the land's awesome, Moses. Like the land God's promised us. Like it's, it's abundant. It's, it's so good. But there's giants there. It's in Savannah. Next to them, check this out. We felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. I don't know if you've ever been on a military recon mission, uh, but normally whenever a spy is going to a land to, on a recon mission, they don't, they don't ask the enemy, like, hey, buddy, uh, Keith, I'm thinking about taking your land. Uh, I'm going to kill you to do it. 
Uh, but before I do that, what, what's your perspective of me? You know, like, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But here's what they're doing. Their own insecurities project a false reality. Their own insecurities project a false reality. And hear me on this. If we don't have faith-filled perspective of who we are as the children of God, if we don't have a view of ourselves as God views us, we too will allow our insecurities to project a false reality. If the enemy can have a victory over your identity, then he can have victory over your life. The, the, the enemy gets these, these leaders of, this, of God's people, this nation of Israel, these ten dudes, have a wrong perspective of who they are, wrong perspective of their circumstances, and as a result, they spread this bad report that leads to the people walking in fear and not in faith. So here's the action. For every, all three points, we're going to give you a principle and then an action. Here's the action. And daily ask God for his perspective. Ask God for his perspective of who you are. Ask God for his perspective of your situation, your circumstances, things that you're navigating in life. God, what's your perspective on this? If you've ever read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he spent some time talking about power perspective, uh, paradigm shifts, and, and he actually uses this image to highlight uh, how we see things from different perspectives. Check this out. Uh, how many of you here, you look at this picture, you see a young lady looking over her right shoulder, feather coming out of the hat, hair. You say, I, I see a young lady on this, this picture. I do too. How many of you would say, I see an old woman? Yeah, so if you see the young lady uh, and you're looking for the old woman, her jawline is actually the old lady's nose. The young lady's necklace is actually the mouth. The neck is now the chin. If you don't see... I know. Thank you, Annette. <laughs> if you don't see the young lady, she's looking over her right shoulder. Um, what you would think with the old lady's eyes is actually her ear. Different perspective. Same picture. We see things differently. Cubby says we see the world not as it is, but as we are. The nation of Israel, they project their own insecurities and paint a false reality. That's why it's important for us to ask God for his perspective. Uh, I don't get this perfectly, but a few years back, I learned this from getting my teeth kicked in in a few situations. To where now, one of my best days, before I, I go into a staff member's office to have a, a necessary conversation, before I sit down with a loved one to say, hey, you said this, and this hurt me. Before I, I sit down and, and have some necessary conversations with people, I just ask God, God, does this bother you? Because here's what was said about me. Here's what they're saying about me. Here's what they did to me. And God really hurts. God, what's your perspective? Are you upset about this? And sometimes he's like, yeah, I am upset about this. Then my next response needs to be, okay, God, what's my best next step? How do I move forward? That needs to be your best next step. How do we move forward? Don't, don't show me the whole picture. What's my best next step? Sometimes he's like, you know what? Tim, it's not bothering me. You're being petty. And I'm like, okay. Well, how am I to see from your perspective? Because I don't want to be upset. I don't want to lose sleep over petty things. So God, help me to not be so bothered by this. We need to get his perspective. And maybe you've navigated that situation a thousand times before. Maybe you think, I've done this. It's cookie cutter. Here's the plan, A, B, C, and D. Uh, ask for his perspective. Matthew eleven twenty nine says this. This is Jesus speaking. He gives us the invitation. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Oh, how do, we, how do we walk with him? How do we work? How do we watch how he does it? 
Well, we got to pause. we got to take a step back and say, God, what's your perspective? I want to see how you're working here. And I want to stay in step with you. I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or real sweetie on you. Isaiah 55, 9, this is the Lord speaking. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Pause and ask for his perspective, even when you think, I know what's best here. We come to the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 6, we meet this, this individual named Gideon. And Gideon has this grasshopper moment. Uh, the, the enemies are oppressing the, the nation of Israel, the Midianites, and, and so the Lord sends this angel to talk, talk to, to Gideon. And Gideon's like in hiding, he's like very afraid at this time. And, and the Lord tells Gideon, hey, you're going to be the one to deliver my people from their oppressors. I need you to step into courageous faith. And here's what Gideon's response is in Judges 6.15. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. That's Gideon's perspective. That's the way he sees himself. That's the way he sees the world around him. And let me just say this. Uh, comparison. We all, we all fall trapped to this. Comparison has deep ditches on both sides of that road. Uh, on this side of the ditch is, well, at least I'm not like them. I mean, like, my family's got issues, but come on, like, have you seen them, right? It leads to pride. It, or, like, my job, my job's not the best, at least I don't have their job. Like, I pay to get out of that job, right? And then we compare ourselves to them. And, and never has it been easier to compare ourselves in this culture today. But that, that, that road, that ditch, is deep. And it leads to pride. Other side of the road, other side of the ditch, leads to pressure. Where you say, I'll never be able to do that. I'm, who am I? That's where Gideon is. Gideon says, I'm the least of my tribe. As a matter of fact, my family's weak. Find somebody else to do it. And it'll keep you from walking in courageous faith. That, that road, comparison, brings pride, pressure. Neither one of those things are, are from God. Here's God's perspective in contrast to Gideon's. Judges 6.12 says this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's hiding. Gideon, Gideon doesn't want to do what God's asked him to do. But he says, hey, you know what? The Lord's with you. Mighty warrior. That phrase, mighty warrior in Hebrew, it, uh, it could be translated mighty force. The Lord is with you. You're a mighty force, Gideon. And, and so it could refer to great wealth, could refer to a large army, could refer to depth of character. But, but here's what I want you to hear. If the first part of that verse is true for you, then the second part of that verse is true for you as well. If the Lord is with you, then you are a mighty force. Because God's with you. Caleb and Joshua, they view themselves in light of that. They view the giants in the land in light of that. So in Numbers 14.9, they say, the Lord is with us. Let's go take the land. Let's go conquer. We can do this. It was their faith-filled perspective that allowed them to walk in courageous faith. The second thing we see is that people who walk in courageous faith are willing to take faith-filled action. They're willing to take faith-filled Action. Numbers 1330, uh, we read this. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. They're, they're like, hey, we can't do it. Like, it's awesome. The land's awesome. But, like, there's giants there. Caleb's like, hey, listen up. Be quiet. Let me just tell you something. We should go and take possession of the land. We need to go take some action because we can certainly do it. Numbers 14, 1 through 9 says, that night, the members of the community raised their voice and they wept aloud. 
All the Israelites grumbled against the leadership, against Moses and against Aaron. The whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt. We're in the wilderness. Like, why does the Lord lead us into the land only to let us die by the sword? Our wives and children are we taking this wonder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, to go back to slavery, to go back to oppression? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader. This guy's bogus. Let's go back to Egypt. Verse 5, but then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes and they said, this land is exceedingly good. It's awesome. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Moses, Caleb, Joshua have faith in the midst of some very real obstacles, in the midst of some very real giants, and they believe that God is bigger than their giants, and their faith leads them towards action. In fact, if your faith does not lead you towards action, then I'm not sure it's faith at all. James 2.17 says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, doesn't exist. It's, it's dead. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1964 received the Nobel Peace Prize. Part of his noble address, he states these words, There is no deficit in human resource. The deficit is in human will. The deficit is in human action. John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach, he said these words, uh, don't let what you can do keep you from doing what you can do. Don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. We can have no progress without change, whether it be basketball or anything else. Listen, if you want to take, make some progress, you want to take some new land in your life personally, if we want to take new ground, new land as a church collectively, listen, it's going to require some change. We're going to have to do things a little bit differently. So here's the action step. If you're taking notes, here's the action step. I need to get my butt, that's B-U-T, by the way. <laughs> I need to get my butt out of the way of what God asked me to do. I need to get my excuses, need to get my fear, need to get my butt out of the way. You can fill in the blank with whatever your conscience allows. I'm going with butt. <laughs> here's why. Numbers 13, 27 through 28 says this. Uh, they gave Moses this account. Like, the land's awesome. It's full of milk and honey. It's an amazing land. Verse 28. But the people who live in the land are powerful. The cities are, are walled and fortified. It's very large. The sin is banned up there. I mean, it's great. Like, God, thanks for that. But we can't do it. Numbers 30, 31. Then Caleb signs the people before Moses and Aaron says, We should go take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. I mean, they're strong. They're stronger than we are. Caleb and Joshua are walking in faith, speaking words of courageous faith, trying to rally the community to trust in the Lord. And then in Numbers 14, Sam says this, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. We're just going to kill these people. I know it's awesome. I know you got faith, but let's just do away with them. Because they made a long list of excuses of why it could not happen, it does not happen. However, if they would have just trusted the Lord, 
against the overwhelming odds against them, in the midst of some very real giants. They would have just trusted that the Lord was striding ahead of them, that, that God was working upstream from them. Here's what they would have found. When we come to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends in two spies into the land. And he learns from Moses, he's like, I'm not sending 12, let's stick with two. Sends two spies in to get a, some recon on this, this area. And here's what this lady who they meet, Rahab, says. She doesn't call them grasshoppers. She doesn't say you can't do this. Here's what she says. I know the Lord has given you this land. And that great fear has fallen on all of us. So that all who live in this country, check this out, are melting with fear because of you. Let me just ask, where in your life has God asked you to take action? But you're allowing your butts. You're allowing your excuses. You're allowing your, all this fear to come up to keep you from taking new, new ground. What if we just live from this, this perspective that says, you know what, I just, God's asking me to do it. I'm believing he's striding ahead of me. I'm believing he's working upstream for me. I'm believing that I'm going to take action because God is going before me. If the nation of Israel had done that, they would have been in the promised land 40 years prior. So where in your life is God striding ahead of you? Yet you're allowing your excuses to get you in the way of taking action. I know I should give, but I know I should have that spiritual conversation with my coworker, but I know I should take my wife out on a date, but I know I should get baptized and complete my faith, but I know I should get some counseling so I can avoid this repeat issue, but I know I need to stop that, but. Listen, courageous faith requires action. When it comes to taking action on the things God has clearly asked you to do, get your butt out of the way and just do it. <laughs> Third and final observation is this. We need to, courageous faith requires faith-filled confession. Faith-filled confession. Now, please hear me on this. I am not saying if you have a broken hand or a broken arm and your fingers bent the wrong way that you could just say, no, my hand's not bothering me. I, I think I'm good. You're going to coach yourself out of that situation. If you're running a fever and you got like snot and goop coming out from all crevices, go to the doctor. Don't try to coach yourself out of that. Don't try to have positive confession to turn the tide on that. What I am saying is this. As followers of Jesus, we are called to see the best and speak the best. I am saying that a heart full of faith will speak words of courageous faith, even when facing giants. So the ten spies, they, they, they go up with them. Ten of the twelve spread this negative report that fills the heart of people, the people of God, with fear instead of faith. But listen to what Caleb and Joshua say. They have a different perspective. It allows them to, to, to have a different confession. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, says Numbers 14, 6 through 9, were among them who went and explored the land. They tore their clothes in front of the whole assembly. The land we passed through is awesome. It's good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will give us the land, land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to give it to us. Verse 9, only don't rebel against the Lord. They're not rebelling against Moses. They're not rebelling against Aaron. They're not rebelling. They're rebelling against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord, the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. Their conversation was full of faith. And here's what part of conquerors do when facing some very real giants. They don't focus on the size of the giants. They focus on the size of their God. When facing giants in your life, when facing giants in my life, we've got to anchor ourselves in what we know to be true. 
where you're in the midst of a season where emotions are running rampant, here's a question for you to just pause and take a step back and just say, what do I know to be true right now? If God is for me, who could be against me? God is with me. He's promised he's never going to leave me or forsake me. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. No weapon formed against me will prevail. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Listen, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. If you don't talk about how big the giants are, They'll posture you to focus on how big your God is and to speak words of faith, to have faith-filled confessions. And I would just say this, if you don't have faith-filled confessions, we'll be a people who make fear-filled confessions. And you never know. God might do the very things he hears you say. And that's, that's a daunting thought. That's a sobering thought. If you do a thought audit, a word audit on your, your past week, if God did everything he heard you say, would you be happy with the results? Check this out in Numbers 26 through 28. This is the Lord speaking. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard their complaints of this grumbling Israelites. So tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. Ouch. And here's what they do. They say, you know what? We're going to die in the desert. God, you, you brought us out of Egypt only to die. The Lord's like, as you wish. Just as you said, that's going to happen. The ten spies that spread a negative report, rebelling against the Lord, divide the community, they kill them immediately. And for 40 years, this nation of Israel, until the next, until that entire generation, 20 years old and up, they die off. And then he's like, okay, now we've got a group of people that I think I can work with. Let's move forward. Be very careful what you say. Here's the action step. I need to watch my mouth. You turn to someone next to you and say, watch your mouth. <laughs> I'll turn to the other person sitting next to you and say, help me watch my mouth. <laughs> I need to watch my mouth. God tells the people of Israel, I'll do the very things I heard you say. Psalm 141.3, this is a good prayer for all of us this month. Throughout this series, here's the prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Luke 6.45 says this, a good man brings out good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Check this out. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You want to know what's in your heart? What's your words been like lately? That didn't come from your wife. That didn't come from your boss. That didn't come from the situation that you're in. That came from your heart. Listen, if you have anger, bitterness, resentment, divisiveness in your heart, you will speak those words. And the enemy loves that. That's exactly what he wants. If you speak words of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, and, and the Spirit of God is dwelling in your heart, and God loves that. A heart full of faith will speak words of courageous faith, even when facing very real giants. There's a reminder, Proverbs 14, 23 says this, above all else, I mean, above the to-do list, uh, above getting home to that project, 
above that, that situation with the kids, above, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything. Remember Proverbs 18.21. Your tongue. The tongue can bring death or it can bring life. Those who love to talk will reap its consequences. The question is never how big is my giant? How big is my circumstance I'm up against? How, the real question is how big is my God? Fixing our thoughts on Him compels us to walk in courageous faith. In closing, I just want to ask you a question. What's at stake for you? Like, here's the deal. All of us in this room have a choice today. We can say, you know what? I heard what that guy said, and I really don't think that, that having God's perspective on my situation matters a whole lot. I know what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. That's your choice. You can say this. You can say, you know what? I, I know I need to take action in some areas of my life, but I haven't done it for this long, and I'm just going to allow my, my, my butt to stay in the way. I'm going to buy my excuses to stay in the way of what God's asking me to do. That's your choice. You can say, you know what, I, I'm not going to sit a guard with my mouth. I'm going to allow whatever I feel, whatever I think. I'm going to allow the insecurities on the inside come out on the outside through my words, through my talk. That's your choice. For the nation of Israel, it cost them an entire generation. The leaders who spread the bad report were killed instantly. And I would just admit to you this, I believe that the realities in the Old Testament are spiritual realities today. You may not drop dead, but it will bring spiritual death to your life. Be very careful the words you say. Be very cautious. Make sure you're taking action when God tells you to move. Make sure you view things from his perspective. What's at stake for you? What's at stake for your family? What's at stake for your coworkers? And I'll be very candid with you, very transparent. I have a real case of a FOMO for some of you. As a pastor of this church, I carry this weight, I feel like, for, for some of you, like, I just don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on the good things he has for you. He wants you to take, take some new ground. He wants you to take possession of some things. But whether we will or whether we won't, hinges on you and I walking in courageous faith. Two men walk in courageous faith. Ten men don't. As a result, the nation of Israel doesn't take ground. Scholars say 11 mile, 11 day journey from Egypt to the promised land. They should have been there. They wander aimlessly in the desert. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. I, I, here's my phone. I, I'm afraid some of us might miss out on the good things he created us to do. On eternal rewards, on hearing well done, good and faithful servant, on crowns to lay at his feet on the abundant life he came to give us, on his presence with us in our pursuits, that he was with us and we didn't even know it. Don't miss out on being ready when he comes, on our time such as this, on being holy as he is holy, on what he's called us to seek first, on co-laboring with Christ, on walking in unity and keeping the bond of peace, on being one just as he is one, on facing very real giants because we believe that the God we serve is bigger than our giants. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Are there real giants? Yes. Giants on the outside, giants on the inside. Some are external, some are internal. But we are a church that chooses to focus not on the size of our giants. We fix our eyes on the size of our God. From this day forward, we choose courageous faith.
Father, we thank you that we can learn from the mistakes of your people in the past so we can step into courageous faith and take hold of what you have for us in the present. Father, I pray that you would help me and everyone here under the sound of my voice to walk in courageous faith, to ask you for your perspective on situations that we're up against. God, to take action when you call us to move. God, to guard our mouth. To set a guard over the, our mouth, watch over the door of our lips. God, help us to be a people that apply your word to our life and not just know it. Father, today we need you. So I pray for everyone here, God, that you would help us to step into courageous faith so we can take hold of the things you have for us.